Welcome back to Who the Hell is This For? For our July episode, we are talking the films of David Cronenberg. Uh, very excited to get into this one. Uh, also, before we do, I do want to plug again, please continue to donate uh, to charitable organizations such as um, any local abortion funds, any organizations that benefit trans people or LGBTQIA+. Anybody, any marginalized group, um, black communities, Hispanic communities, anyone, uh, indigenous, support anyone right now. Things are very bad, and it is, you know, everyone needs support, and there's a lot of stuff going on. If you're a Kansas listener, um, remember the election is coming up on August 2nd. Uh, Vote no, obviously. Uh, Please continue to respect the autonomy of women and birthing persons. Please just, you know, do something for the people who need support right now. Um, before we get into the movies for tonight, uh, which are going to be The Brood, Videodrome, and Eastern Promises, uh, what have you guys been watching since we last recorded? Um, well, in preparation for this, I've been watching a lot of David Cronenberg. Um, so while we're doing The Brood, Videodrome, and Eastern Promises for this episode, I also watched The Fly, A History of Violence, Existence, Scanners, Dead Zone, and then just today I watched Crimes of the Future. Um, A a great month. Um, Very fun research. I had actually only ever seen The Fly and A History of Violence before, so this was a lot of new stuff for me. And I knew I liked Cronenberg, but I I guess I had only really known that I liked the idea of it um, from those two films, so it was really fun to just dive back into the back catalog. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very excited for when you eventually borrow my uh, Criterion of Naked Lunch uh, <laughs> to see what you think about that one. Yeah, I, I really want to see. I ha- so I haven't seen Naked Lunch, Dead Ringers, or Crash. I really wanted to watch Crash. Uh, but because of its rating, you cannot find it streaming anywhere. It's very <laughs> hard to rent as well. Um, well, so we'll get our hands on it eventually. Yeah. And then I did try. I started... Cosmopolis, which has um, Robert Pattinson oh, yeah. in it, and uh, maybe I'll revisit it again. But I, it, I watched about thirty minutes of it and just really couldn't get into it. So I don't know if that says anything about the film or just how I was feeling on the day of. Um, but that's what I've been watching. Right on, fantastic. All right, Riley, how about well, you? What have you been watching? I have been since our last episode, including these movies. I'm sitting at twenty-four movies. Hot damn. Yeah. So let's see here. We will, so went through Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts franchise, uh, which I hadn't seen any of the Fantastic Beasts yet. Mm-hmm. All right. What did uh, What did you What did you think about that? <laughs> um. Let's just let's see here. The biggest money laundering project. Yeah, in the I world. liked the, I liked the first one. Um, yeah, the first one's second fine. one was all right. Third one, yeah, the secret of Dumbledore is that he's gay. That that was that was something. And that was uh, given away to everybody because uh, old J.K. decided to correct the canon in a tweet, <laughs> like when she talked about <laughs> the wizards. Doo-doo and pee-pee, and oh, then yeah. they make it. Uh, they just soil their pants and then disappear it with magic. Can you imagine what Tolkien on Twitter would be like these days? <laughs> oh my God! Um, speaking of, I also watched the Hobbit trilogy, uh, Lord of the Rings, all the extended editions. Damn. Um, let's see here. Let's see here. The Bob's Burgers movie. Mm. Oh yeah, I did see that. Uh, Return of the Jedi. I haven't watched that one yet. 
Billy Madison and The Color of Money. Ooh. Color of Money, very much a Jeff Norris movie. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, if, you, if you can believe it, I actually haven't seen that one. Yeah, you need to get on that one. Um, Bob's Burgers, uh, it was okay. Um, it just felt like a long episode, and there's episodes yeah. that I like more. So yeah. that's how I felt. That's about, about it too. where I landed on that. Okay. I think Bob's, and it's one of my favorite shows. So mm-hmm. I mean this and all, but I, I think Bob's benefits when they pick a character and they're like, this episode is about right. this character. Mm-hmm. And then this movie, it felt like it was trying to be about all five of them all at the same time. And I think it just got muddy. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's too many things going on. Yeah. It, yeah. It was, it was fine. But yeah, so that was my, most of my July First, for like, just first thing that comes to mind. What's your favorite episode of Bob's Burgers? Both you guys. Oh, the oh, one God. where Bob gets glued to the toilet. <laughs> that, um, that and Topsy and the Thanksgiving uh, musical that Tina writes. Yeah, those are those yes. are my personal three. I favorites. love um, the one with the raccoon stuck in the wall. Yeah, oh, that's an early one. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Um, because the the hard cut to Linda singing Amadeus makes me <laughs> laugh every time. Um, I love the I can't think of the name of the sport that Frond comes up with, but oh um oh and it's like the four square right game. yeah where Rudy yeah. is I love really I'm a sucker for any Rudy centric episode yeah <laughs> I think my favorite might be work hard or die trying girl. Or the, uh, the musical, the, yeah. yeah, the Die Hard, uh, yeah, Die Hard true. and Working Girl musical. I have a Bob's hot take. Do you want to hear it? Yes. I think the show. I love the show. I think the show would be better if they went back and adopted the loosey goosiness of season one, with the animation style. Like it's just kind of it's like really like yeah. yeah I don't know. There's something about it. I love. I really dig season one. Jeff I love becomes the one of the like return like trad cap <laughs> guys on Twitter, but for Bob's Burgers to return to its original the animation. Only, the only thing I'll say against that is I feel like so many adult animation shows have gone low budget. They look off on their animation, so I feel awful. like going back to that would make it feel. I don't know, just not what it is. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I, maybe they could bring back. There's a specific. They do these like really weird zoom ins uh-huh. yeah. on season one that I w- I think they could bring that back and that would be really funny. But yes, I don't want to be the trad cat guy about Bob's Burgers. <laughs> or like the guy who is who becomes the like. Hey, let's go back to old Simpsons. The way that they look <laughs> just insane. <laughs> All right, and to wrap it up, um, what I have been watching, uh, one standout I want to mention is Incantation, a Taiwanese horror movie, which I'm two for two on Taiwan horror right now um, this year with The Sadness and um, and this. I don't remember if we've talked about The Sadness on here or not. No, I uh, did watch that in between our last episode and this one, though. Mm-hmm. It's gnarly, and it's like it's mean and cynical, and it's very angry, but it also, like... I feel like it's very deftly handled and there's a lot more going on than just kind of the extreme stuff 
it's the martyrs thing like there is a better story than it's given credit for because of how extreme it is um and incantation is great it's religious horror and it's non-christian religious horror it is instead like a buddhist like extremist cult uh that is it's wild it's very very cool and it does one of the most simple but most clever like filmmaking tricks i've ever seen um and it's it's not like narrative it is it's construction it's a tool they use within making the movie and they pull the rug out from under you at the very end with it it's great it's it's really really well done it made the movie very immersive um so can't speak highly enough of that uh, honestly like 1a 1b right now for best horror of the year is both incantation and the sadness for me are um, those i know the sadness is on shutter is incantation on shutter netflix uh Inca- yes netflix netflix wow okay yeah um and it looks great it is very very high quality um doesn't have the artifacting that you get sometimes with uh with shutter um so really really nice um it's great i really dug it it fit uh, i don't want to say it fits with the whaling because i think it is i think it's better than the whaling honestly and i know a lot of people i personally love the whaling i know many people love the whaling i it does different things so i don't think it's fair to compare them but they will get compared a lot and i really dug incantation uh, otherwise, um, outside of watching, I've been reading through all of One Piece, finally. And, like, One Piece has shot up the charts, has easily become not just my favorite manga, but probably one of my favorite pieces of literature I've ever read. Uh, up there with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that series, um, any of the Terry Pratchett stuff. It And One Piece has all of the... It has a lot of similar DNA to the type of comedy and writing that is present in Discworld by Terry Pratchett, that is present in Hitchhiker's Guide by uh, Douglas Adams, and it's great. It's like, it's 90s anime with Looney Tunes influences, essentially, and um, also like extreme anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist messages. Hell yeah. Uh, So, yeah, it, like... If anything has been more like lab created for me to enjoy, like I'd like to see it because One Piece has shot like way up the charts for me, and I do intend to watch the whole whole anime um, here pretty soon. Uh, and then one last thing I want to well, two trailers. One very excited. Um, by the time this episode comes out, Jordan Peele's new movie Nope will be out. Um, obviously, none of us have seen it yet at the time of this recording. Very excited, hearing great early things. Um, and hearing it, a lot of it is Peel basically giving his take on the Spielberg summer blockbuster. And as you know, I love the Spielberg summer blockbuster. And then another trailer that I thought for a movie I thought was going to be awful and I had no interest in is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves with uh, Chris Pine playing the bard that's leading a party of just, you know, very stereotypical D&D class adventurers and it, it looks delightful. They have an owl bear in the trailer. They have a mimic in the trailer. They have a dragon that isn't a fire-breathing dragon. Uh, it's a black dragon. So I believe I'm rusty on the lore. I believe that's either acid or poison. I forget. Um, anyway, it's not a fire-breathing dragon. It's a chromatic dragon. Not chromatic dragon. Whatever. Don't get me into it. It's a 
it's not your traditional dragon and it is a staple of D&D and I'm very excited for it and the comedy and the tone all fit with a uh, with the style of a halfway serious halfway goofy D&D campaign where it's jokes all up until it's something serious and then you get back to jokes and looked like the tone was perfect I can't wait now is Dungeons and Dragons are they are they like um, involved like the I believe I believe Wizards is involved okay um are they like, is it is so it's like it'll be wizards? an original campaign i think it is an original campaign i wouldn't be surprised if they release a source book to go along probably. with the movie um it's probably gonna be forgotten realms because um, that's where um, wizards of the coast is putting all their money right now um so i I'm really pumped. I think it's going to be great, and I think it's going to be a great D&D story that we haven't really gotten, because um, there was, you know, a bad adaptation in early 2000s, so I'm, I'm pumped. It's going to be great. I think, uh, secretly, Chris Pine might be winning the Chris Wars. I, I think it's not a secret. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh... Okay, yeah, we're gonna be CIA assets, and we're going to talk about how the military is good. And Chris Pine's like, "Hey guys, I'm gonna go play Dungeons and Dragons. Have a good one. I'm going to dress like uh, Diane Keaton in my off time, and I'm just gonna kind of vibe out here." <laughs> and he's, I love Chris Pine; he's the best. You guys have seen the picture of him essentially dressed as Diane Keaton, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's great. All right, shall we uh, jump into the actual episode? I think so. Let's do it. So first up is the brood, and the brood is what? Are what? we are we gonna what? do themes of Cronenberg? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was reading you the chat, and I just forty-five minutes of the episode. <laughs> my eyes, my eyes jumped to the next line because of the spacing in the chat. So I just skipped the themes. <laughs> Folks, this is a live podcast. <laughs> do we stop and redo it? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I'm not going to cut any of this. This is funny. Uh, so, themes of Cronenberg. So, we talked a little bit off mic about a lot of the common themes and hallmarks of Cronenberg's work. Uh, and I think you have to get into the themes before you get into the hallmarks. And so, one of the themes I... Uh, I mentioned, or two, the two big ones I mentioned off mic are um, bodily autonomy and the loss of bodily autonomy. And um, what was the other one I had? Sex it and wasn't, violence. Sex and violence. Oh, oh, oh. The basically examining like the darker side of the human condition, the, the id compared to the ego. Um, and, you know, the kind of, the kind of unhinged, untethered, deepest impulses of humanity um and looking at that in a darker way um oftentimes looking at sex and violence um obviously two very big components of cronenberg's work and then also obviously uh to go with the bodily autonomy a big part of that is going to be cronenberg's body horror losing control of of your body being you know having say over what happens to your body because that's a significant portion of a lot of things um, like Videodrome, The Fly, uh, The Brood. Um, 
I mean, I, it's an important topic right now, obviously, because, you know, people with uteri were seeing the their bodily autonomy threatened um, through legislation. And I think it's actually very fitting to be talking about Cronenberg right now because of the all of this. And it's all of, you know, it's been a thing since Cronenberg has started his career and it manages to still be relevant today, almost 50 years later. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that you see, um, in addition to all that, right, in, in certain films, I think you see, like, these aspects of, of technology, obviously the whole sci-fi horror aspects of some of these pieces where uh, advancements in technology are normally treated with, um, I don't know, like, cynicism or that it would reveal darker things about humanity. It's not a new idea, but Cronenberg does it great. Um, especially, I think, some of the fun stuff about those things is that, you know, Cronenberg was doing some of those ideas in the 70s and 80s. And so the technology that we see that they're commenting on is now, in 2022, technology that feels ancient to us. You know, mm-hmm. like videotapes, radio signals, like these huge, chunky TV sets. Um, in The Brood, you've got all these pieces of... Uh, it's not even technology in The Brood, necessarily. We can get into we We dive into it later, but there's like new age psychology you know mm-hmm. like it's just this these encroaching pieces of new ideas that are going to change your life and then i think he really explores whether or not those things will always have a positive impact or not mm-hmm. at what cost right, right. yeah and then i feel like those are the big ones riley are there any other themes you think kind of covered in cronenberg's stuff that we haven't touched on um, not necessarily a theme, but uh, something I because these are the first three Cronenberg movies I've I've watched. Uh, I haven't seen anything outside of these. Um, Did you see Possessor? That was his son's film. No, I had not. Okay, um, I think you would like it. It's it's a little bit. I mean, it's in the vein. It's a lot more like. Mm, it's very sleek. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? In a way that maybe some of these aren't, but I think you would dig it. Right on. Um, no, just one thing I noticed in these three, um, and I don't know if it's the case in others, but it you have a you have a main character um, discovering something that they weren't supposed. To, you know, they kind of uh, fall into a situation that they weren't meant to be in. Uh, you know, Videodrome. He finds Videodrome. Uh, the Brood. Frank. You know, discovers this. Uh, I can't think of the word of the... Uh, it's like a psychology cult. Treatment, kind of. yeah, whatever they're calling yeah. the treatment at the time. And then Easter Provinces, obviously, she stumbles into the Russian mob. Who among yeah, that's us? A, that's, <laughs> that is a great call out. I, I think, you know, often... And I think the nice thing about at least Videodrome and... Well, I'd say The Brood and Eastern Promises, the main character is fairly not flawless but they're like a they're like a good character mm-hmm. there's like a pureness mm-hmm. to them and there's this evil world around them video drum is interesting because like the main character is a huge piece of shit yeah um, well, that's just james woods <laughs> they couldn't get him to act exactly. around that <laughs> but i mean it's so if you think about it um uh brundle dr brundle in the fly like he he's like questionable like kind of questionably ethically uh, but like also like kind of as a slime ball and kind of a piece of shit. Uh, and 
he's not nearly as far as James Woods in Videodrome, but he is certainly like he's up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is also interesting because Eastern Promise is like, yes, there is sort of like the main girl that we follow, but like the star of that movie is Vigo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he fits a little bit more into the James Wood paradigm. Um, we'll talk about the it, end as well. But yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do you want to dive into talking about the brood first? I am so ready to jump into talking about the brood. Um, I really, I, I'm very excited to hear Riley's take on it. Cause I know he really loved this one. Um, I know I, I put this one off for a long time cause I didn't, I didn't think it was a lesser Cronenberg, but I didn't think it was... I I thought, for whatever reason, since it was early in his career, it was like restrained Cronenberg and not as much body <laughs> horror. I thought there was like off-screen body horror, um, and that is very much not the case. Uh, he really goes for it uh, at the end of this movie. Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely love this movie. This was my highest rated of the three. Um mm-hmm. Which I mean, not surprising. I'm a you know I'm a big '70s horror guy, so yeah. Um, and I I think the '70s elements here really really shine through. Oh, absolutely. Um, I do think it's funny because this movie is 1979, and I do feel obviously you know films take years to make, so it's probably started in '76 or '77, but it it does feel very much to me like a bridge between '70s and '80s horror because it's it's filmed and i don't know if it's been upscaled at all but like it's filmed in a really crystal clear way like it doesn't have some sometimes like some of the graininess of like Mm -hmm, a 70s mm -hmm. film um but it's like totally 70s style the music is incredible like it's a very music is great it is very of the period of a piece you know with the other pieces that's a one thing i wanted to touch on and it's not really a theme but uh howard shore yeah working yeah on all of the uh cronenbergs um probably more i would probably now probably more famous for the lord of the rings yeah um just yeah, he's done i was looking back through because like at the end of almost every cronenberg film that i watched he did it so he did the fly video drone he did crimes of the future crash history of violence eastern promises scanners dead ringers naked lunch existence the brood so I think that's what it stopped counting. It's over ten. Um, he also did Cosmopolis, A Dangerous Method, Map to the Stars, Spider. I'm just naming Cronenberg films. I mean, yeah. it, a crazy amount. Um, and it, I totally agree with you. Totally shines through. Mm-hmm. It, it's really interesting, like to see those relationships uh, that aren't like that aren't Spielberg and John Williams, um, and like. Because I'm trying to think of others, uh, other relationships like that, like Tim Burton and Danny Elfman. Um, I mean, those are the three that are coming to mind. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say that, you know, he he brings the atmosphere in all of Cronenberg's movies. But it is funny that there is such a symbiotic relationship in Mm -hmm. between. It's a little bit like he gets he gets the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I love that. I mean, I, we, we talked about director-composer, but I mean, we've talked before about Carpenter and Dean Cundey, right? Exactly. Um, and and I, I love I, I love uh, creative, like, groups that work together. Yeah. You know, you've got Wes Anderson, and he always uses a lot of the same actors. 
like I just think it's cool when you see like people who vibe with each other and they're just like let's continue making art and I think we can make very symbiotic art together because we have a yeah. very similar approach to what we're trying to do. Um, before we before we get too far into it, a brief synopsis of the brood for anyone unfamiliar. Uh, the plot follows a man and his mentally ill ex-wife who has been sequestered by a psychiatrist known for his controversial therapy techniques. A series of brutal unsolved murders serves as the backdrop for the central narrative. Uh, so there are murders happening around this woman and this man and their relationship, people connected to them. Uh, all all kind of falls in into the background of what's going on. There are little little children little adults like that it's because they're very wrinkly and dried out but they are child-sized um attacking people or that's who um these murders begin to be attributed to they start to explore into that uh and it eventually resolves into a very much body horror uh <laughs> body horror situation with uh with the man his wife and the doctor Yeah, I mean, this film is so good. I think we talked about, you know, some of the atmosphere builds. The plot is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> not only how it starts with this custody battle between a divorced couple, but also you've got the, the impacts of, you know, experimental psychotherapy. And then you've got this, like, crazy pack of wild, I don't know, thought children. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thought children. Thought children. T H O T. We lock them in here because they won't stop twerking. <laughs> Megan the Stallion is just blasting through that barn. These house. children just cannot stop throwing it back. <laughs> uh, thought tots, right? Um, no, I just there's so many things to love about this. One of the things that I want to pick on a little bit is as as we were talking through this. Um, Probably my favorite part of this movie, of, of anything that we've talked about, I love the performances, and I specifically really love Oliver Reed and Samantha Eggers' performances. Mm -hmm. um, Art Hindle is the is the husband. I think he's great, but I think in the hierarchy, like he's clearly like the third. Mm -hmm. Oliver, Oliver Reed, Reed is far and away oh the best. Oh my god, dude! That dude can fucking act. Um, yeah. If you're not familiar with Oliver Reed, uh, obviously he's the, the lead in The Brood. He is also the lead in The Devils, which if you have not seen The Devils, like put it on your list to watch it immediately. It is so good. Um, the Devils is uh, was a banned film for a while, where essentially um, there's a it's a dramatized historical account of Urban Grandier, which is a 17th century Roman Catholic priest who basically gets accused of witchcraft. Because uh, that's the singer you like, Riley. Huh? Uh, I it's is over my head. The side to side. Oh, ha. All right, all right, ha, ha. Gotcha. ha, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, Whatever. That's, it's a fine bit. Um, what, what I love about Oliver Reed and what he's doing in The Brood is he's, he's doing a very restrained, like, stage acting style. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not... I think, Ty, you made the joke, like, it's not quite acting. Acting! But it is a very much Shakespearean, classically trained theater acting, and not film acting. Right. Well, yeah, right. I mean, you can see a lot of similarities with another Shakespearean actor with uh, in Donald Pleasance. Yes, 100%. Have Reed and Pleasance been in a movie together? Well, 
Let's find out. What's his Google? first name? Oliver Reed. Please listen to all our keyboards. <laughs> the House of Usher with Oliver Reed, Donald Pleasance, 1989. Ooh, bad and a Poe adaptation? I mean, I'm going to have to watch it. Also, <laughs> Flanagan's the next work that's coming. Well, he might be doing like the YA horror thing, but Flanagan has a House of Usher series coming. Oh, nice. Uh, with Mark Hamill, Rahul Coley, Kate Siegel, like all of the Flanagan normal crew, too. Very cool. That'll be a tough one to find. I wonder if it's on YouTube. We can look into that. Alan Bergenshaw's the director. What I really dig about uh, about The Brood, I mean, cult stuff, weird, like, pseudo-psychological pseudoscience, right up my alley. I love that stuff. It, like, in movies, obviously. But I I love the concept of weird, like, culty psychology stuff. And I it could have just been that. But then it there's very much a supernatural bent to this movie and it steers all the way into it uh, and confirms it's like this is not imaginary this is not whatever like this is weird supernatural stuff happening and i think they set the tone for that early in the scene where um the grandma i think it's the grandma is taking care of the daughter mm-hmm. and um she there's a break in uh by one of the dwarf children and she is murdered but like it's all the dishes being pushed off stuff being punched out of like windows and you think you're not gonna see it and then it cuts to what the grandma's seeing when she goes in the kitchen and scans up and you think it's gonna cut away and it doesn't cut away that's an incredible picture of Donald Pleasance no that's that's Oliver Reed in Gladiator that's Oliver Reed? oh in Gladiator he's the slave owner in Gladiator oh I wasn't. I was Thanks for putting that in the chat. Ring. Also, yeah. <laughs> I only got well. So I'm only getting like notifica- notifications for half of the things that are happening. And that picture, I got the right half of the picture, not the left half. And it looked a lot like Donald Pleasance in the right half. This is anyway, great podcasting. Go it ahead. is great podcasting. And oh, remember how man. we talked about how this was going to be a tighter episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, it it pans up. And you think that it is going to be the. <laughs> That's, That's Donald Pleasance. Pleasance in the house of That Usher. is Pleasance, baby. Uh, so it oh, pans yeah, I'm up. I'm definitely finding that. I'm going to finish my point at one of these times, and there's not going to be a picture of a Shakespearean actor dropped in the middle of my sentence. Um, it pans up. And <laughs> God damn it. And you think it's going to cut away, but then it stays on it, and there is the child just sitting in, like, the top shelf of the cabinet, and it's obscured by the grandma, but it still shows it to you. And I think that's a really, really bold, big, and smart choice by Cronenberg in this movie, because it sets the tone very early that there is something extremely weird happening here. (laughs) I got my point out before you sent that picture. But yes, Ty, that, I I did really enjoy that scare. Um, yeah, it it's effective. Like it scared me today watching that, like because it's set up very creepy. Also, 
I think that first drone is what they were calling them. Um, I'm pretty sure that it was dressed the same as Candy was. Yes, it was. And we never really touched on that in the movie. <laughs> so, sidebar, I did find the House of Usher on YouTube full VHS rip. Oh, boy. Oh, man. How long is this, Riley? Oh, here. I, I'm just going to put my mic next to the speaker, and we're going to listen to the full hour 27. <laughs> It's going to be our first commentary track. Oh, man. I wonder if I can find that anywhere else, though. We're going to have to look into that. Um, so something else that you, you bring that up, and then in the later in the movie, they when they find Candy at school, mm-hmm. they're both dressed the same as Candy, but in different colors. Yeah. So one thing I thought of when we were at, at, during the school is you cannot tell me that that teacher has not thought about how she would beat the shit out of a little kid if they came to attack her. Oh, yeah. 100%. I'm Those sure. two little drones going to attack that teacher would, in the real world would make her fucking day. <laughs> she, she's, just, she's been ready to rock for the past two years of teaching and has just been waiting for the moment. She's in the zone now. <laughs> live in the zone all the time now (laughs) so there's beyond the themes that we touched early um in cronenberg in general there's not much else to say about the brood just because it's such a tight and well-made movie but i do want to talk about the final crescendo of where things start rolling when um when frank i believe uh Frank heads out to, like, the compound, finally, like, with an idea of what's happening. You know, he's caught on to some of these things. So Frank heads out to the compound, and then it you hit a point of re- no return where it just continues to keep building. And he finds Enola there in the compound, and she pulls the, you know, she opens the robe, and she's got these weird little egg sacs, and she births another drone. And it's, you know, they talk about in the autopsy scene, they're more, like reproductive wise these are more like insects than they are humans the way that they were birthed and it's very um very strange uh and you get that full reveal of like the pulsating egg sac and a few of them kind of in development and one of them hatches while frank is there and uh eventually he chokes out nola uh and nola's holding one of the like wet like sticky drones and he's choking out nola and it's a very like visceral and heavy scene that all of this like you feel like you know the opportunity to get off of this train you missed that about half an hour ago and there's you're just you're riding this out to the end yeah it really it's funny because i mean it was a good movie and i was like oh there's a suspense and there's like a killer but you don't know exactly who it's going to be i didn't know anything about this movie coming in i came in totally (laughs) blind and so i was actually really thrown by like i mean i guess i should have guessed that there was going to be a bunch of them if it was the brood right Mm -hmm. but i didn't i had no idea like that's how it was gonna have how it was gonna crescendo um and i love the the message of what i mean i don't know what the message of what he's trying to say of like 
she's manifesting these unresolved feelings and like this film is a movie about divorce and i guess i'm trying to get some details on it but i guess like this is about Cronenberg's divorce. Yeah. I guess she actually fell in with like a cult-like fad psychotherapy group. Um, I'm trying to get oh, some more so details on I it. I didn't like, know. Okay. Yeah, that like, changes how I view it. Part of me was like, oh, man, part of this feels a little a little gross. Uh, just like Cronenberg. Like, Ah, the man in this movie is right, and he is smart and good, and the woman, his ex-wife, is bad. Like, yeah, yeah. But, but like you know, like actually falling in with a cult, it's not him. Like that's not him embellishing. That's right reality. Like, yeah. So here, in case our listeners want to also know what's going on, essentially, like, Garner was saying, like he was relating this film to his his life and he was doing this in an interview and he said at the time i was fighting for custody of my daughter cassandra from my first marriage i got a call from my ex-wife saying that she had decided for religious reasons to go and live with these nice people in california and she was going to take our daughter with her um and so like okay that's great good luck and then he basically went to school and got her and he's like no um so i don't know there was like this custody battle and then essentially the wife like signed off to release custody so i don't know it's obviously yeah there's some aspects there we don't know everything and and maybe some of like he kind of gets to be the good guy in the film because he's directing the film but it is interesting that this is so baked in real experience Mm -hmm. um i think that definitely adds something to the film awesome anything else are you guys ready to move on to videodrome I am ready to move on. Um, Vinegar Syndrome did a Blu-ray of The House of Usher. Fantastic. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome is who I got my Suspiria 4K through, I believe. I found it on eBay. I also found that you can stream it on an app called Classics. Not sure on the price Hmm. on that one, but that's the only place to stream it. <laughs> I'm glad that got a good reaction. Uh in the chat I sent a picture of the video drone poster because uh James Woods looks like Uncle Baby Billy in the poster. Video drone. <laughs> <laughs> God dang having sex with a TV. Uh my baby Billy. Now I'm not gonna good. be uh... <laughs> Now, I'm not the first person, I won't be the last, to blame somebody for having sex with the television. We've all been there. We've all done it. (laughs) All right. Put put Walton Goggins in a Cronenberg movie now. Oh, fuck. Put Walton Goggins. It should have been him in Crimes of the Future. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, it's right. the quote from uh, Righteous Gemstones. Now, who wants to suck an old man's dick? But it's <laughs> now who wants to suck an old man's thirty-seven dicks? <laughs> Covered in them. All right, you guys want to talk about Videodrome? Yes, let's actually talk about Videodrome and not riff on Walton Goggins in a Cronenberg movie. Oh, so I'll, I'll do the synopsis for this one. So this is from Letterboxd. So first of all, an incredible tagline for this film. Uh, the tagline for video drum is first it controls your mind then it destroys your body uh a plus 
Um, so here's the synopsis. As the president of a trashy TV channel, Max Wren, who's played by James Woods, is desperate for new programming to attract viewers. When he happens upon Videodrome, a TV show dedicated to gratuitous torture and punishment, Max sees a potential hit and broadcasts the show on his channel. However, after his girlfriend auditions for the show and never returns, Max investigates the truth behind Videodrome and discovers that the graphic violence may not be as fake as he thought. What's funny about that synopsis is it's a great synopsis of the first, like, 35 minutes. And then the film, like, takes a huge left turn and becomes about something very different. Um, and and I kind of think this film deserves to be talked about in those two two parts, right? So in Videodrome, they, they get this basically, like, pirate radio signal that's broadcasting this show. He, his... TV channel is essentially like softcore porn and violence. Like, that's what his channel is. Um, and so then he sees this broadcast of... Essentially, I think... is I think it's it's the naked woman being tortured first, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, tied up in this room. And so, um, like, he sees that and he's... He, I, I guess he gets a... Records a copy of it. But they're, like, trying well, to it's, figure... It's one of the things that somebody brings to him, isn't it? So it's his, it's like his radio engineer, but he goes mm-hmm. to him with the idea of like, what have we picked up on pirate radio waves lately? Like, I don't think it's. I like, thought, okay, I thought the two dudes in suits, I thought they brought like the weird. They brought you something the, else. Well, you had the you had the two guys who brought like the samurai geisha porno, but then after that, there were two like sleazy business dudes. I thought that brought Videodrome. Um, it must have been. I I'm. I think I'm probably wrong here. Okay. I think it was picked up on pirate radio. Right. So I don't know if they recorded it and then rebroadcast it, or if they're just boosting the signal. But they're they're taking that programming and basically sending it out to viewers. Because um, then he takes the tape home and shows it to his girlfriend, and that's how they get into Videodrome, like separate from it airing on their channel. Basically. I also really like that the um, the girlfriend is like the head of a like Christian organization about you know like appropriate media. I think that's a really really fun point that they bring up early but it doesn't it doesn't relate to the rest of the movie. It's just an, an interesting character note. Right. And I I love that. I think it is a great decision. I also think I mean I don't know if we've said it so far but the the person playing his girlfriend I actually thought was Kim Cattrall at first. But mm-hmm. it's actually, um, it's the lead singer of Blondie. I think her actual yeah, name Deborah is Harry. De- yeah, Debbie Harry. She's done a lot of stuff. I guess she was mm-hmm. in Body Bags, Tales from the Dark Body Side. Bags is great. I love Body Bags. Um, Copland, Hairspray. But yeah, I mean, she's she's actually done a lot more than I realized. Um, but she was great in this. She was only in it for a little bit, but uh, I thought her performance was great. This one also had the same cinematographer as The Brood. It did feel, I think I watched... Mm-hmm. I think I watched Videodrome first and then The Brood, and I think I watched I double-featured these, yeah. yeah. It, it's a great double feature. Not only are the vibes similar, but, like, I, I don't know. They, they do feel of a piece. I think they were filmed one after the other. Videodrome mm-hmm. came out in 1983, so I wouldn't be surprised if these were back-to-back. I'm, I'm also looking up and seeing who did cinematography for The Fly. Same cinematographer for The Fly as well. Riley, what were your thoughts on this one? What did you think? Um, 
it's one I need to visit again. Um, I feel like I didn't absorb enough of it. Um, the back half gets very messy and very dense, for yeah. sure. Um, I don't know. I I wasn't huge on this, and I feel like that's a lame take. Um, I out of the, fine. I mean, out of the mm-hmm. three, I, I it's number three. Um, did you just feel like it was too, like murky or high minded or like what did what did you not? You like know, about I it? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure what I didn't like about. Like I can, I was watching it. Like I can tell this is good. I just don't think it was really my cup of tea. Um, I think that lack of cohesion in the end can really affect the viewing experience. I enjoyed it because I like disjointed, like, dreamy. Like, there's a lot of dream logic happening in this movie. Yeah, for sure. If you don't like that, like, you're not going to... It's just not going to be a fun experience for you if you don't like the dream logic type thing. Yeah. Well, I think especially comparing this to The Brood, right? Like... You make a great point, Riley. Like the brood is is very tight, right? Uh-huh. Like there's essentially one through point or plot. Like it's very linear. Not that there's not some high minded stuff that happens in it, but I'm like it's it's fairly straightforward what's happening all the time. And I do think Videodrome, like Ty, you were saying, is is much messier, and it's it's done intentionally, of course. But mm-hmm. like the back half, you're kind of you do kind of feel like you're like flipping the plot a couple of times. You're like, yeah. oh, like Videodrome is being controlled by this guy who like only wants to represent himself in video form. And then you find out you're like, oh, he's been dead for 10 years, you know, and this is just like stuff he pre-recorded. And then you're like, well, wait, like, is he actually dead? Like, is he a live response? Like, you know what I mean? There's a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of flipping of trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And I do think for me personally, I do think it landed at the end. But I think, Riley, I think that's a great point and very fair, mm-hmm. valid view of this mm-hmm. is that it, it gets, you know, it does get messy. It's one of those things you have to, like, basically you have to ask yourself, like, how okay am I with just letting go of the plot? And instead, because there's a point where the movie leaves the plot and instead becomes a way of processing the plot through these hallucinations, and it's more, I think, an exploration of themes than it is a narrative in the second half. I think that's fair. I, I think if you were, let's say, Ty, if you were explaining what actually happened in the last 30 minutes of this movie, how would you explain it to somebody who's never seen this? I, I would describe it as um, basically James Wood's character undergoes hallucinations like goes through hallucinations that culminate in him killing the person responsible for putting him through the hallucinations and that doesn't do justice to what the movie is doing right i do think you know especially in the second half um let me see if i can find a picture of it the gun he uses and like it Mm -hmm. kind of being like fused to his hand does feel like when it becomes uh, not becomes a Cronenberg film. That's not true. But like, that's when you started getting some of the, like the weird body, uh, mm-hmm. like exoskeleton stuff. Like, there is a lot of like exoskeleton in Cronenberg for some reason. Yeah, where there because Existence does a lot of that, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's essentially just like these people who are 
modifying their body's body modification like we talked about mm-hmm. but they're it's like with flesh colored things or as like flesh appendages or yeah it's really interesting how do you feel you know we talked about the the brood and we talked about some of the themes how do you feel like videodrome kind of fits into the cronenberg you know set of ideas i think i think videodrome is the clearest delineation of what Cronenberg wants to do. Like, I I think it is very much him getting as big as he's ever gotten with the themes that he plays with. Because um, this is this is Cronenberg's highest budget, and also was a huge flop financially. But I think this is Cronenberg playing with the themes more than he really ever has and getting like getting real weird with it like danny devito like i don't know how much time i got left on this earth and i'm gonna get real weird with it like that's cronenberg doing that with this movie and i think saying that like i say all of that and it also does a disservice to the side of cronenberg that we're going to talk about with the next movie because cronenberg also can direct it the hell out of a drama Mm -hmm. but what it comes what it comes down to is Cronenberg gets into the seedy underbelly of society, the dark desires of humanity. He does that with both sex and violence and um and bodily autonomy and body modification. I think it is it's what is most associated with Cronenberg to the detriment of things like Eastern Promises, history of violence, et cetera, et cetera. But it is I think it is the most like the plutonic ideal of Cronenberg. Yeah. At least from a consumer perspective. You, you know, what's funny is the beginning of this movie really hits on the like sex and violence aspect mm-hmm. of Cronenberg. Like they're all, I mean, they're doing kind of like some light BDSM stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At the beginning of this where there's pain and pleasure kind of mixed in together. And that, that dichotomy of two things that shouldn't really go well together but do i think is always something that Cronenberg is exploring i also think like you mentioned because videodrome kind of takes over his mind takes over max friend's entire mind and obviously takes over other people as well as a way of controlling them to you know do their bidding essentially that that is a huge like lack of autonomy where you're essentially Mm -hmm. being controlled by something that you know i don't know has different aims than you do so yeah. I agree with you. I think there's all the hallmarks of of Cronenberg can be found in Videodrome. All right. Any other thoughts on Videodrome before we get on to um, Easter Promises? I only want to mention it here because it relates more to Videodrome than it does to Eastern Promises, but really it relates to nothing. It's just a bit that I saw. <laughs> but um, historically historically Cronenberg and Carpenter at some point had a huge falling out and Cronenberg like they they are they used to be very good friends and then Carpenter felt very slighted by Cronenberg and uh that relationship that was kind of a burnt bridge (laughs) a joke I saw about that was how like existence is just Cronenberg not understanding video games and that's his loose <laughs> loose understanding of it and then floating the idea that that is what burnt the bridge between him and John Carpenter is that Cronenberg just does not get video games that's pretty good you know what's funny is 
I, I don't know how. I feel like Twitter's been doing a bunch of really old, like, Carpenter interviews, like, retweeting him into my feed mm-hmm. and stuff. And it, what's funny, he, Carpenter is just, like, a prickly guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He's just, oh, yeah. So, like, if there was a falling out, I, I am sure it is probably... The- Mostly almost entirely on Carpenter. Yeah. (laughs) I also, I really like that you say that. Like, I don't know why Twitter's been doing a bunch of these. It's because I'm probably the one retweeting them onto your timeline. Like, just filling your timeline with Carpenter interviews. Right. But I've been seeing the 40th anniversary of the thing, too. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's got a lot to do with it. Well, and the, I mean, this is as of yesterday, but the incredibly dumb take that Jordan Peele himself had to chime in on. And it's like, stop talking bad about John Carpenter, you moron. Oh, God, yeah, that take. That, I mean, it was such, like, it was such an egregious take that you're like, oh, I feel like I should respond to that. And then you also realize, like, that guy's just engagement farming. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he's just purposely posting dumb shit. I fought it. I fought it and fought it and fought it. I was like, I'm not going to quote tweet this moronic take. And then I saw the screenshots pulled of the Rotten Tomatoes scores for Prince of Darkness and Mouth of Madness. And I was like, <laughs> I can't handle this any longer. <laughs> and so I tweeted that I would stone cold stun him through the crust of the earth. <laughs> Completely acceptable response. Yeah. If I get suspended, that's why. <laughs> All right. Should we move on to Eastern Promises? I think we should. I have... I have a synopsis ready to go unless you want to give it, Jeff. Cool. Uh, So... Uh, Naomi Watts, uh, Anna, she is a Russian-British midwife who delivers the baby of a 14-year-old Russian prostitute who dies in childbirth. Uh, and then it is Anna getting pulled... She finds Anna's... Or she finds Tatiana, the prostitute's diary, um... She finds that and gets pulled into this whole world of Russian and Eastern European mob stuff uh, that is happening in London. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, Jeff, for once again messaging me about Oliver Reed. Oh, wait, did I not? The whole time. Did I not? No, I... I just got a notification that popped up over your video that just said Oliver Reed was the slave owner in Gladiator. (laughs) That was the first thing I. We're just bringing it back, bringing it back around. I thought you were just doing the bit again to derail. The funniest thing is that you're gonna get the last photo I put in in like ten minutes. No, I still got it. Like I got all those things in the chat, but every now and then it just pops it up over your video. (laughs) That's. I'm just gonna text you at like two a.m. in the morning. Be like, Oliver Reed was the slave owner. We are about to get so inside baseball, but it's like. The uh, the frog inside of the snake's mouth <laughs> that one of our friends gets every time he gets off of a plane and takes his phone off airplane mode <laughs> from Jeff's wife, I believe. That's right. Yes. <laughs> okay, so anyway, Naomi Watts, Anna, she gets pulled into this whole Russian gangster mess, this network of crim- criminals and crime and crime family. And uh, it also follows Viggo Mortensen as uh, Nikolai, who is, he's the driver, he's the cleaner for this family. 
and he's working his way into the family. He's a guy making his way up the chain. And then you find out towards the end, he is an undercover agent who has been working his way into this family to try and bust their entire operation. Uh, and then it ends kind of with the assumption that he has succeeded in that. And the baby that Anna delivered in the beginning of the movie, that baby is now safe. She is taking care of it. Uh, but the entire time, it's a very much a a dive into crime, the dark side of humanity, all of these different things, all the things Vigo is doing to fit the mold as an undercover. What I want to say, I texted Jeff about this separately before Riley had watched it. I was like, oh yeah, you know, this movie's good. And then the reveal that completely blindsided me, that made me think like, this is so obvious how did I not notice it? I must have missed a line of dialogue. Was the reveal that Vigo is an undercover agent, mm-hmm. and it like it blindsided me, and it took the movie from good to great, like really, really pulled this movie together. You know what's funny is like, after you said that, I thought to myself, and I was like, I wonder what would have been more powerful, like just the idea that this was a bad guy trying to be good, but but actually still is a bad guy. Or someone who is, like, doing it to pretend. And I, I still think the, the angle where he's like, well, I have to stay in as a hidden agent, and I'm just going to, like, run this family now, was an interesting way to end it. <clears throat> but I don't know. I just I, There's something about the idea of him just being a actual piece of shit and not, like, a undercover piece of shit that I think would be interesting. See, and I, I'm on the opposite side, and I think it's more interesting because he's undercover, because... He has gone so far that he is willing to cut ties with the the moral, the just side of his humanity. You know, the part of him that makes him a person. Right. He's willing to cut all of that so that he can effectively move in and disrupt this entire operation. You know, what's interesting is because of the, the culture of all these like Russian tattoos and you have to go to like Russian prison to get them. It is also interesting, like, the level of commitment really required. Like, it's not just like he went kind of a little bit undercover. Like, he went undercover for years. Mm-hmm. And I texted Jeff about this, and Riley, I'd be interested to see your take. The final shot of the movie is Vigo sitting at the table mm-hmm. with the assumption that he has taken over the family, uh, drinking vodka, with the voiceover from Tatiana's Diary talking about her father who was killed in the mines and there was no funeral because his body was buried when he died because of the mine collapse. I took that as an implication that Vigo is her father who disappeared in the mine accident and has that is part of his motivation for getting involved in all this and two, that he, like, you know, he was a ghost, essentially, and they were able to take him and mold him into the perfect undercover agent and give him a new identity because previously he was presumed dead. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I could definitely go with that. Um, I think it's more of a parallel. Like she's saying it when they're showing his face to indicate like, this is also a man who died to his old life and like, now lives a different one. right yeah right. that's kind of what i was thinking like the parallel there because he mentions earlier he's like i died when i was 15 um <laughs> now i live in the zone well yeah now time. i live in the zone but you know <laughs> in a way he relates to that girl because he is 
you know, he's lived that life. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel like if there was any familial connection, like he would have maybe done more to like save her. If he would have known it was his daughter, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 that's where, fair. Like, it I'm, might I'm be... definitely reaching there, but I, I mean, I think whether it's a, a a full connection or if it's a, a parallel connection, I think it says a lot about Vigo's character. The, I do think, I think Cronenberg builds characters very well, and I think yeah, especially 100%. especially in his dramas, all of these characters felt like very real to me you know mm-hmm. uh vigo's character naomi watts uh vincent kessel is like the you know the actual born into the family um what who's what's Armin's? same on who's the um leader of the family mm-hmm. even the like mom and uncle of mm-hmm. naomi watts like the I mom thought, and uncle are great yeah i just thought everybody in this was like acting their fucking ass or is off. it aunt and uncle no, uh, I think it's mom. no. I think it's mom and uncle. Okay, because yeah. she only talked about her. Only ever talked about her dad dying. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I I really like. I'm sorry. I I want to jump on that uh, character note. Like the like you know she's like you were never in the KGB and he's like I was in KGB auxiliary, but then when you know she's like okay where where is my uncle. He's like, he is in Scotland and you know, I, we, it was either death or exile. He gets it. He understands the game. Like even that is kind of the implication that maybe he really was in the KGB cause he understands how the game is played and that he's getting out of this with his life and staying in a five-star hotel in Scotland. Like that's a win as far as these things are concerned. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. You yeah, know, we're Time Star about... Hotel in Edinburgh? Yeah, uh, sign Let's me up. It. Let me get in yeah. trouble with the Russian mob. <laughs> yeah, let me get out of my dumpy flat in London. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something I love about this movie, I mean, I think the story is great, right? Of Naomi Watts trying to do the right thing and help out this baby, and she goes into, like, just this random... Oh, no, I guess there was, like, a card or, like, an address, right, where mm-hmm. she... Mm-hmm felt like she could go there and so she goes to the very place that would be the worst place for her to go yeah right? and it's almost like it's it's almost more interesting or more threatening that she goes into like this like nest of vipers and instead of just like them killing her or them denying it right away they're like oh like come in we'll be nice to you you know like there's this really really interesting like veneer over mm-hmm, this family mm-hmm. where they're like mm-hmm. oh we are a family and there are kids and like we are nice to the people we care about but like ultimately that stuff is not who they really are it's all bullshit well it yeah. helped and it helps build such great tension because then you get moments right. where uh Samon's like well where do you live and right. well, i'll just come to your house um yeah and in a non-situation a non-threatening situation like that would be super nice but there's so much malice behind it Mm -hmm. incredibly sinister and everything around Semyon is so sinister and the i texted you guys about it but the there is less you know there's a uh, there might be more violence but there is less like weird gore body horror stuff going on than a traditional cronenberg movie but when Cronenberg chooses to do just out and out violence, 
it is so weighted. It is so heavy. Like the hits when um, when Vigo has been set up and he's getting his ass kicked in the sauna, like the punches, like you feel those land. Him getting tossed across the uh, the sweat lodge or uh, sauna. There we go. I don't know why I lost the word for <laughs> sauna, but him getting tossed across, like it feels very heavy and tactile. And then him getting stabbed also is very squishy and it, you cringe at just the sound of him getting stabbed. Uh, yeah, so the, the straight razor kill at the beginning. Yeah. The it th- sets the tone with the straight razor for sure. What the I love about the straight the, razor kill yeah. is it did not seem sharp. Like it was not a smooth cut. Yeah. Yeah, like he had to actually like drag it across, and I love that. And the you know the the like the poetic angle of how that's how that same character goes out mm-hmm. after the uh, after the Chelsea Arsenal game, right? Yeah. Um. One thing, uh, Azim as a character, one hundred percent belongs in the Ocean's universe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's the bald guy with the mustache, uh-huh. right? Yeah. yeah. Fit, fits right in in the Oceans universe. <laughs> you know, something I was thinking about with this movie is, you know, obviously it's a, a drama. It's a Cronenberg drama, but it's not, you know, traditional squishy. Um, but there's so many of those same themes that exist. I was thinking about the autonomy one. And while there's not, like, their bodies are not being controlled, there's so much, like, I don't want to say societal pressure, but there's, like, social pressure within this group, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Vincent Castle's character, whose name is Kirill, right? Yeah, Kirill. Yeah, like, he has this pressure to, like, lead the family and do the things he's supposed to do. He's supposed to be this party boy. He's supposed to, like, want to have sex with women. You know what I mean? Like, there's all these things that he's familial put on. And he can't be himself. He can't be a gay man because that would not be allowed in this family. You've mm-hmm. got, you know, Viggo Mortensen's character who his life is not his own because he's this secret agent. His body's not his own because it's covered in tattoos that he would have never gotten in real mm-hmm. life. You know, like, and I don't know. There's just all these pieces of like, I well, can't all be... of that culminating in the scene where Kirill forces Nikolai to have right. sex with the prostitute right. um, because to show, you know, to show. To prove to Kirill that Nikolai is not gay so that he can be welcome in the family and he forces him to do it. And everyone outside of Kirill in the situation is incredibly there. There's a clear violation of, you know, the bodily autonomy, the boundaries, all of this. Like it, everyone is so clearly uncomfortable in the entire situation. And it's it's how Cronenberg examines those things outside of body horror. It's what are the real world things that take away our bodily autonomy? Yeah, this one was fucking great. Yeah, um, yeah really great movie. Like, I <clears throat> I need to watch History of Violence because I haven't seen that one yet. Um, but, I mean, Vigo and Cronenberg, I love that they're, like, the weirder Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Yeah. Like, they're just, like, best friends. Yeah, John, when are we going to see Kurt Russell's butthole? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. You know what's funny? I was trying to think about it, and I'm not going to rank Cronenberg's, but I think think they've done three together. 
So they did Eastern Promises, History of Violence, and then just recently they did Crimes of the Future. Um, and I think this is Vigo's best performance. He's really good in the History of Violence, but he's a lot more like everyman kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's more of like the John Wick type thing in History of Violence. Like, um, yes and like, no. Well, in the sense that he's presented as a normal guy with this history history yeah. of violence. Right, yeah. So I would say, I mean, and I haven't, I've seen these three, The Lord of the Rings and Hidalgo, and I'm pretty sure that's the extent of my Vigo. Let me, let me see if there's anything else in his... Imagining Vigo, like... Uh, the way that he adopted a horse in uh, Lord of the Rings because he got attached to it. Imagining him, like, taking home all of his, like, prosthetics and all the, like, weird body modification stuff from Cronenberg movies. Not even, like, his. Just taking the props home. <laughs> Anyways, I was saying the, the the things I haven't seen from Vigo are Green Book, which I don't need to see. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care to see that one. Captain Fantastic, The Road, Carlito's Way... Uh, and I guess he did one more with Cronenberg called A Dangerous Method. But I would say, I mean, I think I would be ready to say Lord of the Rings is hard to pick against for performances. But of the three Cronenbergs, I think Eastern Promises is his best role. Mm. And I, I need to watch the others and uh, really, like, obviously not rank them, but be able to, you know, get a full picture of his relationship with Cronenberg as an actor. All right, is there anything else you guys want to say about Eastern Promises? No. Awesome. So, I mean, to wrap up, three incredibly solid movies, all that really touch on the hallmarks and the common themes within Cronenberg's work. I mean, we've most people have seen The Fly, and that's about it. That was the case for me for a long time. I know that was the case for you for a long time, Jeff. And then, Riley, these were your first three exper- er, exposures to Cronenberg, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. So, I mean, everybody knows the name Cronenberg and has an idea of what he's about. But, I mean, if you are not familiar with the wider world of David Cronenberg, you owe it to yourself to go and really dive into these things. If you're if you're into the weirder things, if you're into horror, if you're into body horror specifically, really, like, really dive in on Cronenberg because he is worth the reputation that he has. Like, it's very much earned. And if you are not as familiar with his works, like, really really take the time to just dive in with it this was a great episode i loved doing the uh watching the movies for this one uh, what else do you guys have to say to wrap up on uh cronenberg uh I, I don't i don't know if i have anything dudes rock dudes rock cronenberg and vigo best friends forever uh <laughs> this has been our july episode of who the hell is this for uh look forward to getting a new episode towards the end of august we are still working on deciding what that is going to look like thanks for listening everybody Bye.